What's up, Inside OU listeners? Brady Trantham here. Just want to tell you all thank you very much for continuing to listen to our silly, fun, happy-go-lucky OU football podcast. We truly appreciate it. We're getting into the summer months, and so uh, your, your listening, uh, your engagement, whatever you want to call it, uh, means the absolute world to me. I mean, doing podcasts is a lot of fun. It does require some time. It does require some work, so... Um, getting people to reach out about jumping on these podcasts for the fan interviews means a lot to me. It just means people care, people listen, and that to me, one of the many reasons why I continue to do this podcast. So thank you all very much for continuing to listen. But if you haven't already, please leave a rating and review, preferably a five-star review uh, for the Inside OU podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you may be listening. I don't think they let you do it on Spotify Um, I don't know why, but I don't get to make the fancy podcast rules. Uh, But if you haven't done so already, please do so. It helps the show out. It helps the show grow. It helps people who don't listen to Inside OU perhaps maybe find it in their little algorithm, whatever you want to call it. So please leave a five-star rating and review if you don't mind. And for today's podcast, again, these are the uh, one-off bonus episodes per week where I'm interviewing Uh, OU fans, maybe even some OU players, former OU players, if we get to that point, hopefully in the near future, uh, still trying to pin some times and some interviews down. I've got some fans lined up for the next few weeks as well that I'm excited to talk to. Hopefully these give you an extra OU football fix during the offseason, I hope so. And again, if you're interested in jumping on the podcast, please, please reach out to me on Twitter at Brady Does Sports and we can line something up for the future. And I, I greatly greatly want to hear your side of the story. I want to hear your OU fandom. I want to hear your favorite OU players of all time. I I like getting into those little rabbit hole conversations. So today's episode I was really excited for. The author of The Great Oklahoma Swindle, Russell Cobb, jumped on the podcast. And I don't want to consider this a trigger warning. I just want to consider this basically like a content warning because Obviously, with this podcast, we talk about nothing but OU football, OU basketball sometimes, whatever topics kind of pop into our head for fun, Uh, but we rarely talk about things that are serious. Um, I I just felt like your casual, typical Inside OU listener going from me screaming about something that hurt my feelings when I was 12 years old watching OU football and then going on to listen to this podcast, it might be a sharp left turn. So. Um, We obviously, Russell and I, we obviously get into OU football talk for the first half of the podcast. And then the second half of the show, we talk about his book, talk about some stories from his book that are much, much, much more serious in terms of history, in terms of just human mankind, whatever you want to call it, over OU football. But uh, Russell was a great guest. Truly appreciate him being on. Follow him on Twitter, everybody, at Russell S. Cobb, two Bs on his last name for his Twitter handle. Please follow him. He's a great person, very interesting person, lives in Canada uh, from Oklahoma, native Oklahoma, and has a lot of OU football memories that we get into uh, in the first half of the episode. But again, I just wanted to let you all know about, yeah, we we get into some serious stuff (laughs) in the second half of the episode. Truly appreciate him coming on, and I truly appreciate you listening. But without further ado, let's get to the show. And what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Inside OU podcast. I don't know what we're calling this just yet. Obviously, this is going to be the second portion of interviewing 
interesting OU football fans, former OU players, I mean, what have you. I've already got the next few weeks lined up. I've had a lot of good outreach or, or listeners reaching out to me via Twitter to uh, basically set up some interviews. Uh, again, like you, you don't have to have any type of notoriety whatsoever. If you just simply listen to the podcast and you're an OU football fan and you want to be on a podcast, I want to get your OU fan story because everybody has an interesting angle. Everybody has an interesting like memory or just some random football player that they just happened to love when they were 13 years old, even though that player may not, never have been anything important, but because you were 13, <laughs> um, you just latched onto that player. And like that to me is interesting. So once again, like hit me up on Twitter at Brady Does Sports if you're interested in uh, jumping on whatever we end up calling this portion of the Inside OU podcast. But another shout out to Forrest Bennett uh, from last week. I enjoyed talking with him. Hopefully you all enjoyed that as well. But today I'm super, super excited to bring on my next guest. Um, it's uh, probably one of the first times that I've ever talked to somebody that. Um, I a, just met literally 15 minutes ago when he uh, jumped on the Zoom link. Someone I just met, but also someone that I have like, oh, wow, this is I'm kind of excited for this interview because it's some it's somebody uh, that I've really grown to appreciate just from the standpoint of I read a book that he wrote. And now I'm like, oh, this is I'm kind of excited. Uh, I've talked to Russell Westbrook. I've talked to Kevin Durant uh, since I've been in sports media over the uh, past few years. And that was kind of normal to me. So now I guess uh, I'm, a, I'm a tad bit nervous, but I'm going to do my best to make this interesting. But I'm uh, very honored to say that I have Russell Cobb, uh, the author of The Great Oklahoma Swindle. Um, he is the uh, currently the editor or formerly the editor. I, I couldn't find this out at the, par of the paradox of authenticity in a globalized world. He's written for uh, publications such as the New York Times, Guardian, Slate, and look, obviously, all that means is he's much more important than I am. So please listen to what he has to say. But uh, Russell Cobb, welcome to the show. Hey, Brady, thank you so much. That is that is such a great introduction. And uh, I'm, I'm also Russ. I also go by Russ. So if you just <laughs> mistakenly call me Westbrook, you know, that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, just if you saw my jumper, you would be like, yeah, pretty, pretty much same guy. <laughs> no, no. Uh, just as long as you don't next question me or give me a death stare, like that's fine. Like it, I, I covered Russell for what, two or three seasons. And it, I kind of got used to the, uh, mm. the glares of, I want to kill you. Uh, I got used to that. So as long as you don't give me some like non flat, non flashbacks about that, like we'll be good. Oh, I mean, I, I think I'm incapable of doing that. Um, <laughs> just like I'm incapable of dunking. Um, I'm, I'm about as incapable of dunking as I am of giving someone a death stare. Just gave me that great introduction. So, hey, I'm, I'm really happy. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm really happy to talk to you. Awesome. And yeah, like I said, uh, Russell uh, wrote the or authored the book, uh, The Great Oklahoma Swindle. If you've been in a bookstore over the last year, you've probably seen, and you're in Oklahoma especially, uh, listening to the show, you've probably seen the book. It's a it's a red book with a white state of Oklahoma on it with the title. Um, it's usually obviously like on a table. It's it's right in the forefront of your local bookstore. Um, and I like I was telling Russell before we jumped on uh, this podcast, it, I basically read the thing in about four or five days total. Um, if you've read Boomtown, kind of kind of kind of a similar vibe. Not necessarily just focused on one city, but nest but more specifically, uh, the state of Oklahoma. But Russell, you currently live and teach at the University of Alberta. 
living in Canada, very, very far away. I looked it up. It would take a day and three hours to drive from my apartment in Oklahoma City uh, to at least the University of Alberta. So not not recommended. I, <laughs> I would never do that. I have make it. I have made that drive before from oh. Edmonton, Alberta to, to Tulsa in particular. Yeah. Um, I took like five days, but I mean, it's a beautiful drive. So you got to slow down. You got to take in the Rockies. You got to take in everything. And I, I always go straight to the panhandle because I love Oklahoma so much. I'm just like, let me go start like at the westernmost tip and just slowly make my way down the two lanes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, um, where was it? Whitefish, Montana. I've driven from Oklahoma to Whitefish, Montana, which I think is basically the same route that you'd have to take to get. Oh, from oh yeah. That's always my first stop. I always stop in Whitefish for the first night. Love Whitefish. It's such a beautiful, beautiful place. And then, um, just go down, down from there. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like a completely different world up there. Just like the scenery is obviously much different. The vegetation, everything. It's it, like you said, it's it's beautiful. And I can imagine that Canada has a lot of its own beauty. But my my first question would just be, are Canadians letting Americans into their country still? Or, or is that still not a thing with uh, the pandemic still technically going on? Well, you, you can't cross the land, the land border unless you have some sort of uh, very very good reason to cross over just wanting to check out, you know, our beautiful Canadian Rockies is not an excuse. I think if you have like an immediate family member for some sort of family emergency, I think you can, but otherwise no. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it either way either because actually Canada, we were gloating, you know, a year ago that we were managing this pandemic so well, and we were, we were crushing it. And now we, our vaccine rollout has been terrible. And actually Alberta, which you very rarely ever hear about, we're now in the news because we were the single worst place in North America for COVID. <laughs> so just, you know, keep, keep some space in your heart for me. Oh yeah. No question. I mean, obviously prayers out to our Canadian neighbors up North. Um, wouldn't you, wouldn't you believe it? Oklahoma has been very good at this vaccine rollout thing. I mean, you know, I, 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 I've been going to gyms. I've been going to store. I haven't gone to a store with a mask off, or off yet, but I've been going other places with my, I'm, I'm vaccinated and it, it feels weird. It feels like everything's back to normal, at least here. So my, uh, my prayers and thoughts do go out to you. If there's still a lot of, uh, just, Life isn't technically back to normal it's, for you guys as well. It's not, but uh, it, it's nice that it, it it is getting back to normal in Oklahoma. I have my first trip back there planned for early July. I'm really excited. I'm going to be actually at OU doing a fellowship at the uh, Western History Collection in the University of Oklahoma Libraries. So I'll just be uh, in there soaking up all the all the bits of Oklahoma history that 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 um, I love so much. <laughs> Awesome. And as a, uh, I mean, I'm not a historian by any means. I got a history degree I received, or I earned a history degree from OU. And just like a lot of the things that I studied during my time, it's collecting dust upstairs on my wall. Uh, but uh, I mean, that's of course incredible. Uh, you know, all, all, all that being said, you know, we need to get to the meat of the podcast. Okay. I, I, I'm done. I'm done uh, pumping you up. So hopefully I okay. pumped you up well enough to get you into the OU frame of mind. But uh, once I'm, again, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Uh, but once again, the great Oklahoma swindle, highly recommend it. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but this is an OU football podcast. And if you're still wondering if you haven't caught on just yet, Russell is a native of the state of Oklahoma. He just happens to live in Canada and he is an OU football fan. So that's why he's on this podcast. Uh, but we'll start off with like kind of a softball OU football question, Russell. I mean, your earliest memory of being an OU fan, just 
was it just the game was on a TV, on a radio, like over the radio, family members watching, screaming, you know, at at the TV? What I mean, what do you remember as a kid? All of the all of the above. I think the earliest memory, I was six years old. I was at my grandmother's house. She was taking care of me for the weekend and she had on the OU West Virginia game. I want to say 1982, maybe, or maybe 1983. Is that Hostetler? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. That was horrible. (laughs) And I was like, we had this vaunted, you know, and she loved Barry Switzer and we were, everything was just rolling. And, and, and who's her, West Virginia, what, why are we losing to this team? (laughs) What is happening? And I was asking my grandma, you know, it's maybe six or seven. I was like, why, why are we losing? And she just couldn't answer. She was so mad. She was just so frustrated. And, and, and um, I was really disappointed and really sad. I remember crying a lot, even though I didn't even really know what was going on. God. Yeah. Um, my dad has told me a lot about that game. Like my dad has memory. Like he's told me about games from when he was a little kid, like during the seventies, but basically his first like real memories of OU football around the time he got into high school was Hostetler kicking OU's ass in Norman and uh, John Elway coming to Norman in the rain and kicking OU's ass. So unfortunately oh, for man. both. Well, that, uh, yeah, I missed that one. Whoa. That <laughs> yeah, so, a sight to behold. Unfortunately for you and my dad, uh, your early OU memories resulted in a, in a bad loss. I mean, for me, I think my earliest OU memory has to be like the the Independence Bowl in 1999 when OU lost to Ole Miss in Bob Stoops' first year. So uh, we all have that in common. We all started off with L's, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's like, well, I, in general, you always remember the things that are more traumatic in your life. <laughs> like you really do. It's 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 a it's a well known psychological phenomenon that you're going to remember those those bad times. They're going to mark you, but you know they form our identity. So that's. That's what it is, what it is. And see, I, I like where you left off on that because look, football fandom, sports fandom, to some people, it can seem insane that I would care so much about it that I'm going to have a podcast about it, or I care so much about it that on Saturdays, my, my mood either increases dramatically in a positive way, and it could delve into a little bit more of the negative and you just don't need to be around me. So I can understand how that's insane to people, but at the end of the day, Sports, I mean, anything that you can like, a hobby of yours, um, it can, it just, it means a lot to you because it just means a lot to you. That's the best way I can describe it. It won't make sense to anybody else, but um, that's why with this question, I want you to be as corny philosophical as you possibly can be. Um, But what exactly does, what exactly does OU football mean to you? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can go corny. Uh, I can definitely go philosophical because it it was like, I I do think about that game. And then I thought about just growing up with my mother and my grandmother, you know, I, I I grew up in a single parent household. Um, You know, there was a lot of turmoil um, in my childhood. It really, it really wasn't, it wasn't the normal, typical suburban American childhood. And the one thing that I, I always look forward to that was always there was, was OU football. And, um, you know, we had family in Texas and we traveled down to Texas a lot. And, and, and I, I always perceived that sort of slight, you know, sneering Texas superiority, but like, we always, again, like when it came to OU Texas, like, I mean, lost a few times. And of course there was the, the infamous, tie game that also set me on edge when I was a kid. <laughs> I think that was 1984. 84, yeah. 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 Um, but 
it, it was like the thing that no matter what was bleak and what was troublesome, um, there was this bright, shiny uh, a thing you could be proud of and look up to. Like you said earlier, before we started recording, you know, when you're when you're when you're young and you see college football players, they just seem like these like heroes. I mean, these are like titans. And uh, you know, I, getting to go occasionally. You know, we we didn't we weren't season ticket holders, but occasionally got to go and, and see a game. Half the time, I had no idea what was going on, but I just thought this was the pinnacle of civilization. (laughs) (laughs) And and, you know, when I, I still get a little chill down my spine when I tell people, you know, I met, I meet people from uh, uh, outside the U S and up here in Canada. And they're like, well, well, what's, you know, tell me about Oklahoma and I'll, and I'll tell them about like an OU football game. I'm like, you just, you, if you, if you do, if you ever go there, like the, if to really understand the place, you have to go to an Oklahoma Sooners football game and the people who have they're like yeah that blew my mind yeah and uh, i mean i've had friends from out of state uh friends who just don't even like football to begin with they've come to a tailgate that we have like my friends and family put on right out right in the shadow of the stadium on uh for home games on saturdays and they're like yeah i'm not going to watch football but that was a lot of fun like the Mm -hmm. atmosphere just everything that's like everybody's mood the energy level like it's it's unparalleled in my opinion. And what does that say about me? I don't know. We don't need to get into that, but it's like, (laughs) I, I enjoy it. You enjoy it. And that's awesome. But um, now with all that being said, I mean, we've already talked about bad moments. We've talked about the 84 tie game when Stanberry intercepted the ball and the Texas base ref said, no incomplete, let Texas kick a field goal. Total tragedy. Why, why, and why really you were going to kick a field goal to tie like, Oh, yeah, that was the ultimate uh, surrender cobra of all surrender cobras. Like, yeah, we're not going to lose, but like, we're not, you're not going to win. And it's like, that is the Texas way. That is absolutely the Texas Taking way. Taking your ball and going home. <laughs> so with all that, you know, on the table, what, what's a favorite moment? And I, I'm going to, I'm going to make a little caveat because I don't want people. Okay. To, okay. Okay. I don't, I don't want people to jump on the show, talk about their favorite moment being when, Oh, you beat Florida state for the national title. Of course. That's yeah, going to be, right. that, that's, that's all up there. I want something that's more personal to you though. Huh? Huh? Okay. Well, well, gosh, you just quashed my, <laughs> my first response because I actually watched that game at, at uh, a campus bar at the university of Texas posse East. Oh, well, <laughs> actually, it was very, it was very memorable because um, it was like, it was like one of those times, like when I was watching uh, the Rose bowl, Vince Young beat USC. It was like those, those moments where like, okay we're, we're actually going to root for the rival. And I was surprised, like all these Texas bars packed with Texas fans and they're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's root for the OU. Um, but no, I'd say like the one that when I was, I guess a few years after that, that West Virginia game, when I really started to, to, I started to play football, right. I started to finally be able to play a little bit. And I knew I was a kind of, I was big for a kid. Like I was big, I wasn't that fast, but so I was immediately, I was like glommed on to tight ends and linebackers. I was like, I mean, then you're going to be a tight end or a linebacker. And, um, you know, the coach was like, well, you know, tight ends aren't that fast. You know, you got to have some good hands. I, okay. Check, check. Um, and then I was sort of like, okay, that's what I'm going to play. And I remember that then it was 1988 and we were, I think, OU was losing to Nebraska. I can't remember or it was tied, but, uh, it was it was a close game, and Nebraska was really highly ranked. And uh, Keith Jackson 
was it a, like it was like a handoff do you know what i'm talking about I oh think he the, took a, eight, 85 i think is what you're thinking about on the 85. reverse where he ran yeah. like 80 yards for a touchdown yeah. yeah 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 and he took this yeah yeah like i mean who what tied in running 88 yards for a touchdown like that was incredible so i was like i could be like that and then i was watching uh the boss you know and i was like watching brian bosworth the whole time i really idolized him so you know i took his i was like i get a number i'm be 44 i'm gonna be a linebacker and those guys yeah 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 now judging from a few lines in your book you know like we'll skip a little bit ahead of here but judging by a few lines in your book where you kind of go into detail about your fashion sense in high school when you were living in Oklahoma did you ever have a boss cut or did you try to get a boss cut no. at one point oh, god. <laughs> oh my god no 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 I, uh, I I no I don't know why I did I didn't I didn't I actually was just I was more into I think um I, I, by the time I could make a statement like that, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're really young, like you just want to fit in, you just want to be liked. And then you get into your high school years and you want to make a statement, right. You know, oh, yeah. uh, differentiate yourself a little bit. Uh, by that point, like I was really into, uh, I had, a, I had an obsession with uh, Houston Rockets and Hakeem Olajuwon, which is so weird. Like I, I slam a jamma. <laughs> You saw if you saw me today, you would do. Let's just say you would not mistake me for for Hakeem the Dream. But uh, uh, when I was fourteen, you know, I was like, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna get a Hakeem Olajuwon jersey. I'm gonna be like, yeah, five slam pajama. That was yeah. I love those guys. Did you? How, are you still a Rockets fan, or did you transfer no, over to the Thunder? No, yeah, no, no. Once the Thunder, I mean, once I mean, you know, first few years of the Thunder, like I was like, the, this team sucks. It's just all, <laughs> you know. And then, it, like, what's the point? And then that kind of surprising playoff run um, in 2010, or was it 2010 or 2012? 20, 2010, they uh, they lost to the Lakers in the first round in yeah. six games. And then the next year, they got to the Western Conference Finals against That's the Mavericks. The following that, year, they that, went to the yeah, finals. Yeah, following year, I was like, wow, this, this team is legit, and these guys are fun to watch, and this is my new team. But people make fun of me. Like, like I have a friend who's like a just a long-suffering New York Knicks fan, and he just loves the Knicks, even though he's from – Saskatchewan weird. <laughs> but, but I'm like yeah I, I like Thunder and he's like what about the Rockets like yeah I like the Rockets what about the Spurs? yeah I like Spurs he's just like you can't just have like eight teams Russ and I'm like well they're they're you know they're like tiered you know like oh yeah no question Knicks though man I'm yeah I mean I grew up right, I grew up a Miami Heat fan uh, okay. the explanation I have is when I started getting into football and playing football I wanted to be a quarterback and my peewee coach at the time said, well, watch this guy, this guy and Dan Marino and the dolphins were on TV that week. So I became a dolphins fan. So a few years okay. later when I got into basketball, I was like, well, I might as well be consistent. I don't like the Mavericks screw Texas. So I root for the Miami heat. Okay. And then by the time the thunder got here, I was like, well, I'll root for both. Then LeBron James went to the heat. I'm not a big LeBron James fan. So I went all in on the thunder until Uh I started covering them. And now I'm kind of back on the heat's bandwagon. Oh yeah. That was a fun team to watch last year. I know I'm uh, still upset that Jay Crowder suddenly stopped hitting threes in the finals and the heat lost, but you know, we lived to fight another day, but um, I favorite player of all time. I mean, is it going to be Keith Jackson? Is it going to be the boss or is it, somebody a little bit lower on the totem pole um actually probably a little bit lower on the totem pole i'm actually gonna go with Lydell Carr. Ooh, fullback. yeah um i love just love that grind out fullback just dive, dive fullback dive right off the guard 
grind it out for three, four yards and occasionally bust one up, you know, like no, no, no flash, just, just boom. Yeah. 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 No, I actually had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine during the season. I don't know how connected you are with the current team going into the season, but OU as a player, a fullback H back, Mm -hmm. uh, Mikey Henderson, who watching him, I'm like, I was talking to my friend. He's um, he's 10, 15 years older than I am. So he watched Lydell Carr as a teenager. Like, is Mikey Henderson like modern day Lydell Carr? I mean, obviously they're okay. playing in they're playing in different offenses. And anytime you watch Lydell Carr highlights, he's just running straight through a fullback dive, whereas Absolutely. Mikey Henderson is running routes and yeah. being a little bit more versatile. But I just I see a lot of similarities in their size, their speed, and just oh, their really? their ability to just not give a damn. Uh, yeah 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 so yeah i'm like okay like i like me some modern day lido car uh love here. that love that i'm gonna be a player to watch no, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said a player like lido car just because hopefully there are younger fans listening uh to the podcast today and going who's that i'm gonna google him i'm gonna youtube him and go mm-hmm. oh there was a lot more there was a lot of fun stuff before i was born like that's that's yeah. the fun thing about college football is yeah. you know things existed before you were born yeah. especially if you're a fan of ou they've been good for 60 70 years so there's a lot of history to get into yeah absolutely uh, so here's the fun part for the ou okay. fan interview portion it's name association so it's it's like an ink plot i'm going to say a name or i'll you know show you a picture quote unquote and the first thing that comes to mind, I just want you to say. Okay. Barry Switzer. Um, corn dogs. Corn dogs. Yeah. Explain. <laughs> I just went from uh, thinking of him at the, you know, thinking of him at the, uh, like learning to, to watch Switzer at the, uh, at, the, uh, at the Cotton Bowl. And then uh, from Cotton Bowl to, to corn dogs, you know, eating Fair corn enough. dogs. Fair eating enough. Corn dogs, Texas, Texas Fair, yeah. Almost everybody that's an OU fan has some type of Barry Switzer run-in or story. Have you ever run in or have like something in your past with Barry Switzer at all? No, no, I, I, I don't. Um, you know, it's funny because you can you could just the secondhand stories. Like I, you know, I'm like once removed from all these kinds of crazy Bar- Barry Switzer stories. Like the one where my friend who was at the law school, <laughs> he was OU law student. Barry Switzer came on. And said, okay, y'all want to learn about sports law? Tell about this. And he pulls out a Rolex and he's like, <laughs> <"Hey, please." laughs> I'm like, okay, that's really not the, oh I think it's a legal topic. Yeah. Well, you know, not not <laughs> hopefully not so much anymore in the coming, coming I know, years. yeah. Let's get that name, image, right. and likeness thing going so we can just mm-hmm. stop the charade of student athlete, but absolutely completely, absolutely. completely he was ahead of his time. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you got to pay people. They play. They, you know, they give their best to talented athletes. You know, I mean, him a Rolex at least. Him and the boss were like yeah. well beyond their yeah. time. So. Yeah. Um. This is a. This is going to be a hard left turn in terms of yeah. name association. But okay. and I only bring this up because you brought this up before we recorded. Roy Finch. Calgary Stampeders. Yeah. So obviously everybody kind of, I would hope remembers Roy Finch early 2010s running back that, like you said, before we started recording every OU fan that had either Twitter during its infancy or were on message boards at the time, play Roy Finch more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everyone was like, yeah, put it, put him in more. Cause then you'd get in there and he'd just like do something incredible or incredibly stupid. And, uh, and, and, and I remember, and I remember that, like, like, why don't they just put him in more? And then, uh, forgot all about him 
for years and two years ago um, up here in Alberta, like the bitter rival of the team formerly known as the Edmonton Eskimos, um, we were playing our bitter rival, the Calgary Stampeders in the Canadian Football League. And, um, you know, we get, we occasionally get like these, I think they have to balance it out. I think they have a majority Canadian players, but you know, that means that a lot of Canadian or American players with kind of Canadian connections end up here. Anyway, we're in this, you know, tight battle against the Stampeders and all of a sudden they, you know, they bring in the second string running back and I didn't even catch his name. I just see this like little guy, like darting, like just darting inside and out. Like nobody can catch him. I'm like, Oh man, what's that? And then I hear him like, Oh, that's Roy Finch. They're from Oklahoma. You know, I was like, Oh my God, Roy Finch. <laughs> and like, he went in, went in, like went on to uh, win that game for the Stampeders. And I was like, man, they, maybe they should have played more Roy Finch. Yeah. Poor Roy Finch. He would bust off like a 20, 30 yard exciting run, like making multiple guys miss running a guy over. I mean, he was like you said, really short, but he was nothing but muscle. And then he'd stay in on the next play. It would be a pass play and he would absolutely fail at pass blocking, which is why he didn't play that much amongst amongst other things, unfortunately. But yeah, Roy Finch was always kind of a fun little uh, memory of, <laughs> to have if you're an OU fan. Yeah. Uh, the next name is going to be another little harsh left turn. Uh, Howard Schnellenberger, uh, rest in peace. <laughs> Schnelly. Um, well, this is, uh, not going to mean anything to you, but, uh, my first association is my, is my dear friend, uh, Bob Blakemore, uh, local Tulsa attorney, otherwise known as MC Bobby B. He was a, you know, like a, the best white rapper of Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1980s. You never heard of, um, as opposed to all the ones you have heard of, but, of um, but, uh, Bob is, is, was my best friend and, and, um, in middle school and high school. And we just worshiped OU football. And I just remember the heartbreak, uh, that Bob experienced when, when they, when they, he was so excited about Chanel and <laughs> I mean, so excited and i was like oh i don't know bob and he's like this guy's gonna just he's gonna turn it around he's gonna turn it around <laughs> it was just, was, so i just i just think about my old friend bob yeah they started off what four or five and oh that season and they tied yeah. texas and that's right that was another tie yeah I, yeah, yeah. I, I was read that the last year of of the tie i was trying to remember yes okay what was yeah that because now? the funny thing was like that was the last year that there were no overtimes in college football so they implemented overtime in the offseason. The next OU Texas game, OU won in overtime against Texas. And uh, just like the, well, I mean, unlike the previous year where they went into the Cotton Bowl undefeated, I think they went into the Cotton Bowl in 96 without a win and they got their first win in overtime against Texas. So funny how that wow. works out. Wild, wild. I mean, I, there was a, like a dark period in my, in my uh, OU fandom where I didn't, I just kind of turned everything off after the Gary Gibbs and the fiasco and the, and the probation and all that until uh, uh, until uh, Bob Stoops kind of reignited things. Actually, right when you're talking about the Independence Bowl, that's when I was like, okay, this is le- this guy's legit. This is a whole new era. Um, but I was like, there's like a four or five year period where I just didn't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's going to blame you if the, yeah. the five year period you're talking about is like 95 yeah. to 98. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> not much happened <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except, for, except for the fact that i, I a guy a, a really good friend of mine who went who i went to school with um uh in tulsa west caswell 
uh, if he's still out there, he, he's, he, he, re- he reeled off a 99 year old, 99 yard reception uh, return. He played for the university of Tulsa golden hurricane. I think at one point it was like the longest play from scrimmage against OU. Yeah. Was that the, was that, that was the game Tulsa beat OU, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I this was a name. guy. I, this was a guy I grew up uh, playing like backyard football with, like yeah. just like th- literally just throwing the ball around the backyard. And when he did that, like it was like, okay, all right, I, I can. I, I shout out to to him. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. No, I thought that name sounded familiar. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, oh boy. Well, shout out to Wes. I mean, yeah. Not I, don't a lot where, of- I don't know where Wes is today, but. Man, when he reeled off that 99 yard. <laughs> I'd imagine he's probably getting a free drink in any bar he wants on Cherry Street if if he just kind of reminds you like, hey, I did this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd think so. But again, like people's memories of like college football are, are not are not long. You know, like things are just not like if all. you didn't if you if it didn't happen when you were a kid and watched it, like it's like it didn't happen, or it's like your great grandfather's, you know, history, like it's way back in ancient times. And so, you know, unfortunately, that's the way it is, and 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 it, it shouldn't be that way because there's some crazy, amazing stuff to look up. Yeah, and and that's you know, college football. I mean, you can you can dive into a, the history of any sport you're talking about. I mean. Keegan, my co-host, loves baseball, and that that sport is nothing but history. And I mean that respectfully. He's going to think that I'm like dogging. I love playing baseball, but <laughs> let's be honest: like it was, it was America's pastime in a different era, and that era is over. Emph- but emphasis on past, exactly. <laughs> of course, like, but to, but to, you know, quote William Faulkner: you know, past isn't dead; it's not even past. Oh wow! See, now we're that, that's the deep thought I'm looking for on the okay. Inside OU podcast. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you well, go. You know, I, I, yeah, I don't know how many guests. Does Russell Westbrook quote William Faulkner? <laughs> <laughs> if I asked him, like, hey, is what's your favorite William Faulkner line? I think he would just like look at me and then he's <laughs> and like kind of gesture over to the Thunder PR and say, get him out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the little cartoon cane just that kind of comes from the side of the camera and takes me off. <laughs> unfortunately, but, yeah. um, I, I would, I, I don't know if I'm going to put up video of this. Uh, I might, I might put up a clip or two on Twitter. Um, but I would like kind of show the book in my hand. I don't have it with me. I gave it to my mom to read. Uh, so there you go right okay. there. There we go. I've got it right here. Just in case there was something you were, you said that I, you quoted me on something and I was like, I don't remember that. <laughs> so don't. I just have it, have it here as a referee. Right. Trust me. They're, um, I don't feel, I feel a zillion times less important than you. You've got a book that you're holding right in front uh, right in your hand right there. And I say things on the radio, particularly about the thunder, you know, over the last few years, and people will remind me of something I said months ago that I just contradicted myself, you know, just like the other night on Twitter. And I'm, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's, do you, do you just, that's when you pull out the Walt Whitman quote to go with the William Faulkner quote. Oh, the Walt Whitman quote, do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. Wow. That's my next tattoo. I just decided. I decided right here. <laughs> no, it, it's it's very... I don't know where that's going, though. I don't know where the <laughs> tattoo is going. <laughs> I was going to say I want to see it, but maybe I don't. We'll put that, we'll put that behind the paywall. Um, it's, it's, very, it's very scary sometimes to be 
listen to, I guess. And hopefully I don't scare you with like pulling some quotes um, uh, from your book, The Great Oklahoma Swindle, or yeah, The Great Oklahoma Swindle, um, mainly because like I've got this, got this app on my phone where I'll just put down random quotes from books that I read that I like. And I put down like two or three from your book that really spoke to me. And uh, I think, first of all, I'll just do my best to summarize the book for those who haven't read it just yet. Um, I would want to tell people, if you look at it on the surface, I promise you, this comes, this is written by a person that loves Oklahoma. This is not a, a slam piece by any means about the state of Oklahoma or the history of Oklahoma. All it is is just bringing up facts. And if you can't handle some facts, then, I mean, God love you. But uh, to me, Oklahoma, as I've lived here since I was 15, 16, I'm from Oklahoma. My family's from Oklahoma. Um, I think a lot of people over the last year, especially, have kind of had this great awakening of that kind of centered around the Tulsa race massacre of, oh, I never learned about that in high school. I fortunately did learn about it in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I oh, shout out, wow. shout out oh. to my uh, uh, history, uh, Oklahoma history teacher, uh, Miss Johnson at Norman North. Now, all we did was watch a PBS documentary, but apparently that's zillion, a zillion times more learning about it than a lot of my friends and even family members have ever, ever experienced in high school. Absolutely. So, or, or I did. Yeah. 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 But you know, you just, you multiply that times like a hundred. There are a lot of things about that are similar to that, not necessarily race related, but just stories that the Oklahoma collectively, whatever you want to call it, have just thrown under the rug. And to me, it's just important to just understand history. I, like I said, I've got a history degree, so I've got a soft spot in my heart for stuff like this. So um, I I just want people to understand it's not a slam piece on Oklahoma. And I I could, I could not recommend it anymore. The book is fascinating. It's interesting. A lot of great stories in it. Um, So yeah, like if you haven't read it, please go check it out. Highly recommend it. Uh, But I'll throw out two quotes that I really, really enjoyed. Um, one of them being, you know, being the history nerd that I am, our history is not so much forgotten as it is suppressed. And I've seen, you know, that quote somewhat kind of like the, the gist of that quote in different spots, but maybe it was just the way like it was written. Maybe it was just like in the paragraph, it just really spoke to me and it kind of speaks volumes about what you're about to uh, experience with the book. But um, I appreciated that. And probably the thing that hit me most personally, um, given that, and I think listeners of the podcast know, and they'll probably roll their eyes that I remind them again, I was a military brat. I lived all over the place as a kid. Uh, But this quote really spoke to me. Uh, But maybe that is the heart, or that is what is at the heart of what it means to be an Okie, to be in a constant movement towards a home that is always just over the the horizon. And that's another thing that I think speaks volumes about the book, because my big take takeaway from your book, Russell, I'm sure if you jumped into any state's history in America, you can find a lot of terrible things. But the thing with Oklahoma that I got from your book is it's actually a it's actually a very interesting place filled with a lot of great, smart, intelligent people. But for whatever reason, those in power just and people who 
want them to stay in power. We just stub our toe time and time and time again. So that was what I really took away that big picture wise from your book. Oh, thank you. That's I, I, you know, it's funny because people ask, ask me, how can you summarize this book in you know, a couple of sentences and I, I can't, I, I always kind of st- get sort of stuck on how to summarize it, but I think that's it. You know, it's, it's to figure out what those stories were that have been suppressed why they've been suppressed and what they mean to us today, you know, because you mentioned Boomtown. That's a great book. Sam Anderson's book is great. But I, the thing that I felt was missing from that book and sort of, I, I kind of read it and I was like, man, I, I'm going to write a follow-up is a, is a personal story, right? Because this, this isn't just something, you know, that just happened to other people. And it's just, oh, wow, look at this. Look at these wacky people in the middle of America. It's, it's something that I grew up with, and as I and I and 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 things that get normalized, right? Like these things that get normalized, and then you come upon them later. Like for example, just for a little bit of it, like learning about the history of the Creek allotments that were in my neighborhood, and of the stories of the allottees of the Creek Native Americans that were literally buried almost in the backyard and removed in 1921. Um, why don't, why didn't I know about that growing up? And I don't think it was just like, Oh, somebody forgot to talk about it. I think we repress those stories because we have a story we want to tell ourselves in Oklahoma. This is a heartland. It's the Oklahoma standard. We look out for each other. It's the land of opportunity. It's not to say those things aren't true. Yeah. Right. It's just like, it's just like what they say about stereotypes. It's not that they're false. It's just that they're one story. You know, you're just telling one story and we need to tell the whole story. So that's, you know, that was what I was trying to do with my book is, is kind of fill in those, those gaps and, and make it relatable to yeah. you know, people like yourself, because I think that a lot of people kind of have that sense that, Hey, there's something missing here. And, and how do we, how do we find the words to talk about it and have a conversation about it? Exactly. And that's why I don't think that it's a slam piece at all. And I, I know it's not about the state of Oklahoma, because I know there are a lot of people out there, especially listeners of the podcast, some of them that might, you know, if they just kind of thumb through the book and they find like one chapter, one paragraph and focus on that and take away the surface kind of message of the, of that particular story, they're yeah. going to go, I know I love my home. I don't want to hear anything bad about it. And I, I right. get that. I respect that. But like the whole point I think about living and especially like if you're talking about like a, a state community, we're only going to be better if we just understand everybody's perspective and understand everybody's background and story so that we can move forward. Now, if you want to move forward with just one particular group of people, you might have some success if you're lucky enough, but you're just doing yourself a disservice because there are other intelligent people with great ideas that may not, that may not have grown up in the same community as you that may not look like you, you know, so many different uh, perspectives out there and just ignoring them or perpetuating like what you said, uh, like normalized suppressed myths um, that just does yourself a disservice. It it doesn't, it doesn't work either. That's the other thing. I mean, because if you look at post 1921 in Tulsa, there was, there was a, there was a, a concerted attempt to not talk about the, the race massacre, the, the local newspapers did not print a single story about it yeah. for 50 years. And then even then it was just like, oh yeah, on this date, 50 years ago, uh, something happened. Um, yeah. Anyway, no, moving on. 
you know, they try, tried for like 80 years to not thinking if we don't talk about this, maybe the hurt will go away, you know, and, and people in my family, people who are near and dear to me to this day, you know, will say things, why are you publishing this stuff? You're just, you're just, you're just, you're just picking at scabs and you're opening up new you know, old wounds. And I'm like, well, we tried to, to, to cover those up and look what happened. Nothing, nothing, you know, the, there's a, there's a, 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 a pastor in Tulsa, Martin Lavenhar, um, All Souls Unitarian Church. He, he, I was talking to him the other day and he said, he said, uh, what was his formula? He said, he said, injustice plus time does not equal justice. So you can't just hope that you have an injustice and you wait long enough and it will go away. It will compound and pack people who study, for example, intergenerational trauma. Yeah. tell you about this that you can pass down the trauma to your to your children so that's you know in my small way it's like i'm trying to reckon with all that stuff and again i don't have like a a solution or um and you know some of my stuff like at politically you're right some people would be like i don't share those beliefs fine you know most people in my family don't share those beliefs that's cool <laughs> you know but i want to find ways we can actually have a conversation about it you know what i mean yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, I feel like I, I said this a few times last year on the radio or on like the Thunder podcast that I do uh, during the summer when there was no sports, um, there was especially no basketball to talk about. But the only thing you could talk about really basketball wise were the Black Lives Matter protests because a lot of basketball players from the NBA were heavily involved with it. And I would just repeat myself over and over again on the radio look, if you're listening, to us right now on the franchise and you're a police officer and you feel like that something is being done wrong. Like we're not talking at you. We're, we, we are talking with you. Like we're, I'm yeah. not saying that I, yeah. I disagree with X, Y, or Z against you. If you think, if you just agree, I'm talking, like I'm talking with you, no one is yeah. blaming you. So in that same light with the Tulsa race massacre, talking about it, bringing it up and bringing up the importance of words. Cause you mentioned that in your Tulsa race massacre chapter, the end of your book about just the, the verbiage around it. It was always the Tulsa yeah. race riot, riot, yeah. which riot, which means a much, which brings about a much different perspective or idea in your head than massacre. Because I'll admit when I first heard the words Tulsa race riot, my brain thought, okay, well, I guess there are two sides to this conflict but unfortunately it, it wasn't. So yeah. when you bring, when you, that's, that subject is brought up. It's not something like I'm shitting on the city of Tulsa or the people of Tulsa. No, like all no. it is, is just, this happened. Nor Norman were, I guess my hometown in Oklahoma is, has a terrible history with African-Americans being a sundown town in its own right. And that doesn't mean that I hate Norman. That doesn't mean that I hate the people of Norman, no. uh, but it's just something that, we need to collectively acknowledge so that we can move forward. If you yes. really don't want to talk about something like this, help be a part of that conversation so that you can move forward in, with our collective lives. Well, we, when you're talking about identity, you know, earlier, it's like if you shut off part of your identity, you know, you, you can't, you're shutting off part of yourself. So if there's parts of yourself, you don't, you know, you think need work, um, you, you go, I don't know, you go to the gym, you go get therapy, you, you, you go to church, you know, you continue to work at it. Like trying to shut it down is never does 
it never, it never works. It just, it just never works. And it compounds over time. Like we were saying, you know, it's like, and, and there's so many things and you're right. I mean, I have gotten the, the sort of like, oh, this is just a hit job, you know, on Oklahoma. No, it's not. I mean, it's a celebration of a lot of stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff has not been celebrated enough um, about Oklahoma. I mean, it was, it was, it was within my lifetime, not, you know, like not ancient history that people wouldn't like people in Okima, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even talk about Woody Guthrie. I mean, the greatest folk singer in American history period from Oklahoma, from Okima, you know, I mean, if you don't put that on a wood uh, water tower, I don't know, like, you don't know anything about marketing or pr there like, are a ton of places in los angeles named after him like you know, like <laughs> yeah exactly and, and they wouldn't do it because oh he was a communist well first of all actually i mean we could have a whole other talk he wasn't <laughs> a communist i mean he, he was he's a, a socialist of sorts but you know i mean it's like those sorts of things like there there's lots of stuff we could talk about i mean we're even talking about race like we could talk about all the amazing black townships that were just that thrive the the black wall street not only pre-1921 but in the 1930s 1940s it was a it was a it was a mecca yeah uh, for jazz for everything you know um so there's lots of there's i, I try to i try to make it a celebration as well um but you know i mean come on like we gotta we gotta face the facts here you know Exactly. And, you know, kind of what you were just talking about, that's another thing that I've always kind of had swimming in my mind of just think about how cool Oklahoma could have been if it didn't stub its toe (laughs) with the black townships. I mean, there were about what, 40 or 50 uh, predominantly African-American communities that sprung up right after the state or Oklahoma became a state because mm-hmm. Oklahoma was marketed to former slaves. Like come here and you can, yeah. you can escape oppression, uh, suppression. You can make your own life in Oklahoma. And a lot of African-Americans did um, uh, Greenwood, black wall street being a big offshoot of that as well. And it was kind of, sn- it was snuffed out. But one of the more interesting stories that I learned from the book that I wanted to chat about for a second uh, that I had never heard Never heard this, never heard it in passing or in a bullet point format. Never saw it on a Wikipedia rap, or rabbit hole dive as well. The Black 1000. And mm. oh, just, okay, yeah. It's yeah. just so interesting to me. So talking about the African-American communities that sprung up in Oklahoma after it became a state. Well, unfortunately, as I'm sure everybody is aware, so did the Jim Crow era laws uh, also creep in to uh, just the legislative portion of the state of Oklahoma. And so obviously African-Americans were not very welcome in the state after it became a state. So a lot of African-Americans immigrated north to Canada. And That's so right. there, there are communities um, up there that have roots from the state of Oklahoma and they're African-American. And that to me was just like, th- this isn't real, this is made up. <laughs> I can't believe this is actually a thing. Well, imagine, imagine my surprise, Brady, when I learned that up here. <laughs> exactly. I was like, wait a second, hold on. You know, like, oh, there are, cause somebody mentioned to me, they're like, oh, you know, oh, you're from Oklahoma. You know, you should meet so-and-so they're, they're, they're folks are from Oklahoma. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they're African-American. Like that's why. And then I started like going into it and realized there wasn't that much research on it. And, and since then, like I've met a lot of the descendants that still still live in the area. Um, 
you know, they have, they have some pretty, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they have some pretty bitter memories, right. That are handed down by their grandparents and great grandparents yeah. about Oklahoma because it felt like such a betrayal. You know, like, if you think like these, this is, this is the pro like Oklahoma was once a promised land. Like, like that is where you want to go to restart your life. And, um, and it really was. And, and then just within a few years, you know, after statehoods, you know, Senate bill number one is, is imposing Jim Crow in Oklahoma. That was the first order of business. And so that's just a tremendous um, blow to that community. It's funny, I was just mentioning Okima, you know, with Woody Guthrie. This is how weird Oklahoma is, by the way. That's why I called it America's weirdest state. You know, <laughs> at, at Okima, that's where uh, Woody Guthrie was raised. His, his father, Charlie Guthrie, was actually at one of the most horrific lynchings that ever occurred in American history where uh, a woman, um, Laura Nelson and her teenage son were hung from a bridge uh, uh, it, right outside of Okima. Um, and, and those kinds of things, you know, that a woman and her, and her child could be publicly lynched and the entire town would turn out for it. Like that is, that is, must be the most frightening thing I can ever imagine. Yeah. And so, yeah, so these, so, so whole community, like almost entire communities, uh, like uprooted themselves. Some of them went, um, followed this guy, chief Sam, who led a movement back to Africa, some people went out to California and then a lot of them, yeah, went to, went to, went to Canada because Canada was, was advertising itself as like the new, what they called it, the last best West, the last <laughs> part of the Western frontier that was not settled. And it's funny because a lot of them showed up and they were, you know, they were actually, a lot of them were members of, of, uh, of tribes, you know, Cherokee Creek, Seminole, et cetera. And they got up here and they realized, oh yeah, wait, there are people here. They're indigenous people too. So like they actually got along really well, which I think is also kind of like a little side story that I, I want to, I'm kind of working on myself right oh, now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's fascinating. These kinds of stories, you know, you like, you hear about it and it's not taught yeah. in school. Not and that, school. that's the, uh, that's kind of the interesting thing about history, because I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, this, this book kind of started from an article and you basically learn things in researching that article that kind of inspired you to, I need to know more about that, like that I can't write in a shorter article and that never fails. Like if you like history, if you're reading about something in a book, there's probably like one sentence or one paragraph in that book. And then it veers off into like the, the main point of the story, but you kind of get stuck in your head with that one sentence and go, I need to find out more about that. It's, it, it's that, it's that. And it's like, looking around yourself. I mean, like you said, the article that sprung it was, was this article I was writing for the guardian, you know, when, when the teacher walkout was happening and, and people were like, and I was talking about it and people were like, well, why is Oklahoma at the very bottom of the barrel, you know, in terms of, of, of public education. And, um, and I, that's just kind of like the book in a nutshell for me is like, it's, it, this is an incredibly messed up contradictory place. How did it get that way? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the, 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 un, the, the, the unbleached, the, the non-censored version is Oklahoma is, is I start to explain it at parties. Oklahoma is a fucked up place. How did it get that way? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that was, that was, that was literally, that was literally the, the guiding, you know, question for the book was like, wow, you know, we have all these contradictions and all this craziness, like good, bad, ugly, you know, like, you can see it today, right? You know, I mean, you see like 
all the amazing stuff is happening in Oklahoma right now. And then you see, uh, you know, certain political leaders passing these legislation that is just so, so what such a waste of time, such a waste of time. Indeed. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, some people would probably say that podcasting about OU football uh, during the spring and the summer is a waste of time. But, I mean, well, at, least it's, at least it, at least it does something for somebody. You know what I, I mean? It I hope so. In people's lives. I, 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 I would listen to it. You know, I, I'll, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, look, it half the time, it's just therapy for me. So whenever OU has that one inexplicable loss that they always have, it just gives me an outlet to scream about something. So it's like, it needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But I hear you. Um, I, I would say like one more thing about the book, uh, or just mainly a question, um, was there any part of the story that may have hit too close to home that like the Oklahoman in you felt like, oh, man, I don't want to dig deeper because I'm afraid about what I might see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I, uh, I'm actually working on that right now. Um, um, I discovered that when I was doing the historical research, I mean, I knew my family had its pretty deep roots in Tulsa and, um, they're all named Russell Cobb. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to find him. And my great grandfather became he 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 became the chief of police in Tulsa, and um, he had a pretty rising political career. And it came it was he he committed suicide in 1962. And I kind of wanted to figure out why and what happened. But uh, as I kind of looked back on his early career. <clears throat> I saw this, I started doing these newspaper clippings and creating like a little archive. And I saw that he, he when he became chief of police in Tulsa in, in 1941, so literally 20 years after the race massacre, he said that, he said that, uh, uh, that Greenwood, uh, the Greenwood district was, was full of, I can't remember what he said, but he was like, we, it needs to be cleaned up. And, and frankly, that, you know, I, I discovered that after I wrote the book, actually, I discovered that kind of recently. And, I, and I'm, you know, it does kind of send chills down my spine. So I'm a little like, oh, wow, we've been here before. And, and my, my ancestors were kind of part of this, this repression. I didn't even know anything about it. And, you know, to, like to kind of echo the theme of our conversation, you know, I think there's no point in just, in just saying, oh, that's, that's uncomfortable. Uh, let's not look at that. In fact, it's more like, okay, now we can really know the whole story. And, and, and yeah. so, so yeah. So, so there's that. And I guess that's kind of the material for a sequel if there's ever oh, going to be one. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, look, uh, not that type of uncomfortable, of course, but if anyone who's anyone who knows me, anyone who's ever hung out with me, I like being uncomfortable. So uh, maybe I'm just a little bit more inclined to like go after content like that. Mm. I mean, no matter how dark it might be. And I mean, without getting too much into my family history um, and all love and respect to my family. But unless something's gone completely by the wayside, uh, my, <laughs> my like aunt, great, great, great grandparents, like just really nothing necessary, nothing to really write home about in terms of like community or state leadership. So we've like, my family's always just, always just been like your run of the mill normal working class type people. So maybe that's why it's a little easier. I, I feel like for me to like go back and read horror uh, stories about uh, things that happen in towns and cities that I, I grew up in or live in uh, because I, I kind of feel that 
disassociation with it because I don't have any immediate family members that I can connect uh, to, to any of those events. So okay. I can only imagine what it's like for someone like you that has direct relationships, at least uh, bloodline wise to actual events that happen. I can only imagine what that's like. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 on that note, I, I, I've, um, a special collections librarian at the university of Tulsa sent me, um, 1928 roles of the Ku Klux Klan in Tulsa, which was, you know, they were really prevalent back then. And, uh, I gotta say, I, it took me a day or two before I was like, I, I didn't want to open it because I was so afraid yeah. I would find, you know, um, to find my great grandfather in there. Um, but, uh, he was actually married to a woman that, that many people suspected was Jewish. So he wouldn't have joined the clan. <laughs> I was like, Whoa, okay. There's a whole other thing. To yeah, it's like, you know, it is, it's weird. I mean, it's yeah. It's it, when you, I mean, if, if you do, you, you might think you're normal Roman run of the mill, not that connected, be prepared. <laughs> Cause you might find yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, I'm sure someday, um, I'm sure someday I'll probably make the deep dive of I'm a history nerd. So I'm surprised I've really yeah. done it already, but yeah. uh, final question before I get you out of here, Russell, okay. um, okay. thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Um, we'll get, bring it back to the OU thing for a second though. Um, are you as nervous about this season as I am? Uh, I don't know. Are are, I mean, okay. I'll say this. Like I, <sighs> history tells me, that this the seasons that seem to be filled with promise are always disappointments and the seasons <laughs> that seem like they're going to be like rebuilding boring years are, are like are full of like uns, um, unsuspecting surprises in a good way so and i guess that's my theory of life in general is i always you know, expect the uh, hope for the best expect the worst so I guess that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking is hoping for the best, expecting the worst, even though like, I mean, you know, the end of the season was like, yes, this is the team I want to see. I know every time what someone, asked, yeah. Every time someone's asked me about this fall, this coming up season, I just, I say basically the same thing of like, I'm ready to have my heart broken again. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting to believe every, every day we get closer to the season. I'm just like, yep, this is our year. This is our year. This is our year. And I have not thought that since maybe I was in my early twenties when I was just a blind optimistic, you know, kid fan. So now it's just like, I'm an, I'm ready to get hurt again. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, just, just ready. Yeah. It still hurts though. Doesn't it? Unfortunately it does, yeah. you know, 20, 21 year olds can still influence the, uh, the day, the, the, the excitement level of a 30 year old man like me. Crazy, so. crazy. <laughs> well, Russell well, well, is what hey, it is. Thank you so much for jumping on Inside OU. Once again, the great Oklahoma Swindle. Uh, fascinating book for uh, Oklahomans, history nerds. I mean, again, if you liked Boomtown, you will more than likely enjoy this book. Uh, similar kind of deep dives into stories that you made, may have never heard of, like the Black 1000 that we talked about. There are a lot of other great stories about Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma City, Norman. There's even a cool little weird like very weird and interesting story involving an architect in the university of oklahoma and i'll just leave it at that uh oh something boy. something i had never heard of and i've lived in norman's base until recently and since 2006 so uh, and then also i guess oh are you going on a basketball run in the tournament literally weeks after i finished reading your book was also like <laughs> is this actually an act of god is that what's going on now it is, it is, it is the weirdest, it is America's weirdest state. Like I say in the <laughs> subtitle only. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. ORU. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Russell, thank you so much once again for jumping on Inside OU. Uh, follow Russell on Twitter if you don't already. It's at Russell S. Cobb, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. On the Twitter machine. Yeah. Uh, f- famous Oklahoma Sun up in the up in the Great White North. That's right. Alberta, Canada. So uh, shout out to you. Good, sir. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. And once again, if you're interested in jumping on the podcast, even if you like, if you're like me, if I was just listening to this podcast as a listener, as a fan, I would feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not important enough to jump on a podcast and talk about myself. You are wrong. I want to talk about everybody. I want to talk to everybody that I can. So please just hit me up on Twitter at Brady Does Sports and we can schedule something out. I've got the next few weeks scheduled out, but we can always record and I can just put it in the can uh, for a later date. So please just reach out to me and we can make something happen. But everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. We'll talk to you later.